Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to cover the passage of Scripture this morning that is actually the key passage in our Vacation Bible School this week. Uh, Specifically, verse 7 uh, is the key verse for VBS But uh, we want to begin reading in verse 5 and reading all the way down through verse 12 so we can see that verse in its context. The ride of a lifetime. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now you'll remember a couple of weeks ago as we had Children's Sunday, we looked at verse 5 in more depth. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Father, we thank you for the power of your word as Michelle has just sung about and I'm reminded of that verse out of Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and active and powerful and what Isaiah 55 says that your word shall not return unto you void but will accomplish that which you please Father, we do pray that the sowing of the seed of your word this week would have great effect in many lives. God, we pray that we would see people of all ages this week transformed by the gospel. We pray that it would be a week where we would see conversions, but also a week where we would see a renewed yieldedness and surrender to you on the part of believers. Lord, we do thank you for those that have stepped forward and said, here am I, use me. We pray, God, that you would undergird their efforts this week, give them your power, and I pray that their words would not be their words alone, but their words would be your words. God, bring about transformation. And we pray this morning that you would bring about transformation. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes and ears that we might see wonderful things from the scripture. I pray for that one this morning who needs Jesus in his or her life. That there would be special conviction there by your spirit. That your spirit would challenge each of us. Convict us. Bring about life change. To your honor and glory we pray in Jesus name. Amen. If you want the ride of a lifetime on a roller coaster that is. It seems that you're going to have to travel to Ferrari World in Dubai, part of the United Arab Emirates. Ferrari World is an indoor theme park, and considering the high temperatures that 
Uh, that area of the world can reach in the summertime. The controlled indoor climate is quite refreshing. Now, inside the park, you're going to come upon a roller coaster known as Formula Rosa. The world's fastest roller coaster reaching 149 miles an hour. Now, boy, that's got to be quite a ride, right? Can you imagine 149 miles an hour on a roller coaster? It's designed to look like a Formula One race car. It goes from 0 to 62 in just under 2 seconds. It climbs several hundred feet high and it propels riders along at 4.8 Gs. Now the twists and turns in the, in the roller coaster are actually designed after some of the world's best known racetracks. It begins indoors, then it goes outdoors, and it finishes indoors again. And because of the high speeds that it, it, that it reaches and because of the desert sands outdoors to ride this particular roller coaster, you've got to wear special glasses or goggles for eye protection. Again, that's got to be quite a ride. Now this week in Vacation Bible School, the theme is Colossal Coaster World. And the theme verse for the week is verse 7. Let's read that again. In verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Boys and girls will take an adventure learning to face their fears and trust God. Now that's a powerful lesson for all of us to learn this week. That we need to face our fears and trust God. What we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be traveling with the Apostle Paul on his journeys through the book of Acts. By the way, let me challenge you this week with the book of Acts. It's only 28 chapters. Read with me this week the book of Acts in its entirety. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Just start in chapter 1 and read all the way through the end. And we'll be studying together Paul's journeys that begin in chapter 9. Now we know what happened in chapter 9. That's the record of Paul's conversion. Paul was Rabbi Saul. He was on the road to Damascus and he was going there to arrest Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial because of their preaching of the gospel. But we know what happened. God got a hold of him. God arrested him there on the road to Damascus. He saw that shining light and that vision of Jesus Christ and he was gloriously converted. And then we're going to pick up after that looking at Paul's friendship with Barnabas and their first missionary journey together. And then we'll see Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail and there they are singing at midnight and there's that earthquake and, and they preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer and he's converted. We're going to see Paul preaching to the multitudes. And ultimately going all the way to the city of Rome where he appears before important government leaders and he proclaims the gospel there and gives a defense of the gospel. Well, we know that near the end of Paul's life, he passed the baton to young Timothy. Timothy is somebody who needed to face his fears and trust God. Now verse 5 points out that Timothy had made a good start. He had a sincere faith. He had a faith without hypocrisy. He had a rich heritage and he was blessed with a spiritual gift. But folks, none of those things guarantee that somebody is going to stay on course. Every day in this world, if we are not careful... 
If we focus only upon our circumstances and what people are doing around us, then we can end up with fear and we can forget what it means to trust God daily. Now what I want us to see this morning is the remedy to that. First thing I want you to notice is that the life of a Christian calls for commitment. In verse 6 and 7, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Look at verse 6. You and I are continually to cultivate the gift of God that is in us. Folks, in short, just like maintenance on an automobile, you've got to maintain your walk with Christ. Just because you and I are saved by God's grace doesn't mean that we don't play a role in the Christian walk. If we're not careful, fear and complacency can end up taking over. Now, Timothy was a saved young man. There's no question about that. Timothy has a fine heritage. He had great examples in his life. He had a very dedicated grandmother by the name of of, uh, Eunice and a mother by the name of Lois. And he's also hung around the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian and missionary the church has ever had. And yet you'll notice something. Even with all of that in Timothy's background, he still needed to give his faith full attention. Even though he had the right heritage, he had the right kind of faith, didn't mean that he could throw it up in the neutral and coast. I wonder this morning if there are some that would admit, Pastor, I'm really just sort of coasting in my faith. You know how you can tell if you're doing that? If you are not taking some type of deliberate steps to grow in your Christian faith, you're probably in all likelihood coasting. Folks, you've got to take steps to grow. You've got to be intentional about Christian growth. You've got to be purposeful in that. And every day we've got to yield ourselves to God. We've got to be in God's Word. We've got to be in the prayer closet. We've got to be sharing our faith. We've got to be taking steps to grow. And if we're not, we're probably stuck in a rut and we're just coasting. I think an analogy of that would be like our lawns in the summertime. If you ever drive by somebody's lawn and you see a lush lawn of thick green grass, you can be assured that it's because they're giving attention to their lawn. You know, I've discovered something to grow weeds. What do we have to do? Absolutely nothing. Isn't that frustrating sometimes? To grow something you want to grow, I mean, you got to pour all kinds of attention into that. But to grow weeds, you don't have to do anything. Just do absolutely nothing and you can grow some of the best weeds in town. What have you learned about your faith lately? What new attempts are you taking at growing? What avenues of service are you involved in? If we could look at your prayer list right now, what are you praying about every day in your devotion time? Have you attempted to share your faith with anybody recently? Have you attempted to reach out to anybody in Jesus' name recently and minister to them? You see, there's just something about human nature. If we just leave things to themselves, we get in ruts and we just coast along. And the tendency is that we all lose some of our zeal and love for Christ if we're not careful. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent this message to those under him. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. 
Folks, there's got to be commitment in our lives. And first of all, related to this, I want you to see that there's a need for commitment in service. Look at what he says again there in verse 6. I remind you to fan into flames. It's a very graphic image there. Fires have to be stoked up. If you take a coal off of the fire and you separate that coal off by itself, it cools off. That happens with fire. You've got to continually feed it. You've got to put wood on the fire and you've got to fan it into flames. Now whatever God calls you to do, you've got to do the same. You've got to kindle afresh the gift of God within you. You've got to kindle afresh your relationship to the Lord so that you're serving Him with a warm heart and you've got to kindle afresh that gift within you. In fact, some translations say, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to stir up the gift that is in you. What's Paul talking about? And he makes reference here to the gift. Well, scholars are pretty well in agreement that it could refer to one of about three things. D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson's hard to argue with. In fact, he's probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, scholar in the world today. He's greatly respected in the world of scholarship. D.A. Carson writes that the gift that Paul is talking about here is Timothy's gift of the pastorate. The ministry assignment that Timothy has been given to be the pastor of the church there at Ephesus. Now if that's what it is, what he is saying to Timothy, Timothy as a pastor, you've got to daily guard yourself in the ministry. You've got to be a student of the Word of God, studying and rightly dividing the Word. And you've got to watch yourself as you shepherd the flock that you not do anything that could disqualify your leadership. And that you not grow discouraged. You see, if pastors aren't careful, sometimes they can grow discouraged. Because sometimes things don't happen as fast as you would like to see them happen. Sometimes we don't always see visibly what the Lord is doing. We don't understand that. We've got to guard against the temptation to to judge by that because the Lord might be doing more in people's hearts than we realize. And so as a pastor, any leader in the church, you've got to guard that gift, that assignment that you've got and you've got to understand you're in it for the long haul. Now Gordon Fee. One of D.A. Carson's colleagues, again, one of the top New Testament scholars in the world today, he believes that the gift that Timothy is being called upon to fan into flames is the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in every believer. The Bible says at the moment of our conversion, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, moves into our lives. takes up residence there. We're never alone. That's comforting, isn't it? And daily we are to yield and surrender to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, He can be grieved and He can be quenched. He can be grieved if there is sin in our lives, if there is some kind of rebellion or sin or disobedience in our lives that we are not dealing with. If the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart and daily reminding you that there's some area of your life that you need to repent of and give attention to and you're not doing that, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. If we're not yielding to Him, He can be quenched. And so Timothy needs to make sure perhaps that he's not grieving the Holy Spirit or he's not quenching the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he's doing is just the opposite. He's fanning into flames the gift of the Spirit in him. And every day he's living his life making sure he's yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Or along with the gift of the Spirit, it could be that the gift that's in Timothy is the gift that comes with the Spirit. 
You see, folks, every child of God has at least one gift that's given to them. In the Greek, it's the word charismata, grace gifts. The Holy Spirit gives everybody some kind of gift with which to serve. Now that doesn't mean that we refuse to serve in any other way. It just means that God has wired us together, each one of us, in some special way to serve Him. For instance, your gift might be teaching or your gift might be leadership or your gift might be giving or your gift might be showing mercy, ministering to people, visiting the hospital, caring for their uh, everyday physical needs. All of these different gifts are given by the Holy Spirit so we can better serve the body of Christ. And guess what? In the body of Christ, He gifts each one differently according to His sovereign purpose. You put everybody together uh, utilizing their gifts under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you have the body of Christ functioning the way that it should. Well, we need to fan this into flames. We need to discover our gift. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you need to pray and ask God about it. You need to read the passages that have to do with the gifts. You need to evaluate in some way what you enjoy doing and what others affirm that you're good at. Those are just some helpful ways of discovering your gift. But all of that, whether it's your ministry position whether it's the person of the Holy Spirit himself, whether it's the gift that he gives you, whatever Paul is referring to here, by the gift, we need to fan it into flames. We need to stir it up. Timothy was called to be a pastor. He needed to give diligence to that. The Bible says one day we will stand before God and we will give an account as to how we have used our gifts. In fact, 1 Peter 4.12 says that we are stewards of the manifold grace of God and the Bible says that stewards will give an account before God one day. And so related to commitment, there needs to be a renewed commitment in our service. But not only a renewed commitment in our service, but a renewed commitment in our attitude. Look again at verse 7. He says there, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In light of your gift, you could say, But I'm afraid to get involved. I'm afraid that I might not be effective. I'm afraid that people might not respond. There are all sorts of reasons for fear and intimidation. And apparently young Timothy was a very fearful man, very easily intimidated. In fact, as we read through 1st and 2nd Timothy, there are pieces of Timothy's life that we can sort of put together and formulate a portrait of his life. He was evidently not a very forceful person. And then on top of that, he must have been somewhat weak and sickly because Paul addresses that in 1st Timothy. And imagine this, folks, God called that type of man to be a pastor. It's a reminder to us of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. We can't hide behind the excuse that I'm not the right type of person to get out there and serve God because God specializes in using the most unlikely. And He does that so all the glory goes to Him. I think of Gideon in the Old Testament when the Midianites were giving Israel a fit and God appeared to Gideon. Gideon's there on the threshing floor dealing with the harvest and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, Hail, O mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon must have been turning around thinking, who? Who's he speaking of, almighty man of valor? He ends up saying to the angel of the Lord, do you not understand who I am? I've not only not made the list of who's who, I've not even made the list of who's not. Have you considered my tribe? My tribe is the least tribe in all of Israel. Out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, my tribe is the least. And my family is the least in the tribe that's the least. And I'm the least in my family. So the least of the least of the least. God, do you not realize who you're speaking of here? You're speaking to somebody who is just the bottom of the barrel. And yet God said, Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to use you. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God can take your fear of serving him away. Don't live with fear in your life. Imagine all the danger that fear has done in the body of Christ when somebody feels led in the church to do something and out of fear they don't do it. Reminds me of the farmer sitting on his front porch one evening smoking his pipe and another guy came by and said, Hey, Farmer Smith, how's, how's your cotton crop coming this year? And he said, I didn't plant any. Why not? I was afraid of the bow weevil. How's your corn coming along? I didn't plant any. Why not? Because I was afraid of the drought. Well, how are your potatoes doing? I didn't plant any potatoes because I was afraid of the potato bug. So this year I didn't plan anything. I decided just to play it safe. I wonder how many Christians are doing nothing because they're just trying to play it safe. God has given you, notice the three things that Paul says here. God replaces fear with. He's given you power and love and a sound mind. Let's take those one at a time. The word power here. Power. This word has nothing to do with the world's view of power. The world's view of power is self-seeking. Now this word here, on the other hand, has to do with God's power in a Christian's life when a Christian steps out in faith and does what God has called them to do. For instance, think of Moses. When God appeared to Moses and said, go back to Egypt, he said, God, I can't. I can't speak. What did God do? God said, what's in your hand? Throw it down. Yield it to me. And also, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron, who's going to be your mouthpiece. In other words, to Moses' fear and weakness, God supplied the needed power. You look in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus met with his disciples and gave them the commission. He said, but you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on, on you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so if you'll fan into flames the gift of God, He'll supply you with the power that you need to serve Him. The next word here is love. It's the word agape love. It's the kind of love that allows us to take our eyes off of ourselves and see others as God sees them. You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5? He said the love of Christ controls us. Or constrains us. If it is the love of Christ that is constraining you or controlling you, you can't help but be involved in ministry. Because you will look at people the way Christ looks at people. And if you do that, you can't help but be involved. The problem with a Christian today who is fully able to be involved in ministry but for some reason or another has chosen not to be involved in ministry in all likelihood it's because they're selfish. They're not living out of the love 
of Christ. Because it's just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave, when we are filled with God's agape love, and we look at the world and we see needs and we see lostness all around us and we see hurting people, we've got to be involved because the love of Christ is in us. We won't be able to stay on the sidelines because God's love is a love that gets involved. If you see needs in the church and you see needs in the world and you see needs all around you and you, you know that God wants you to reach out to them but you don't, maybe what you and I need to do is say, God, give me more of your agape love because as we're filled with that love, it motivates us to do something. And then the third word that he uses here that God replaces our fear with is the word discipline or self-control. only time that this particular word is used here in the New Testament, it's translated in a, di- a number of different ways. It essentially means sound judgment. We're able to look at life in the world the way God wants us to. We're able to see the way things turn out. It's like Dr. Vance Havner used to say, I'm so thankful that there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Bible and there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Bible. Folks, we know how it all turns out in the end, right? And so we're able to have the sound judgment of looking at the world, priorities in the world, what we should be investing in, what we should not be investing in, how we should be using our lives to the glory of God, we're able to have sound judgment. In other words, the right perspective. And that helps us to minister because we're able to see what really matters in God's sight. So we need to live with commitment. Fan the gift of God into flames, have faith, not fear, and have the right perspective. Now secondly, I want you to notice with me, the life of a Christian calls for courage. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. We're able to be bold in our testimony about Jesus Christ. Every time we tell somebody about Christ, we are affirming the gospel. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the cross because if Jesus Christ has saved you and changed your life, you've got a story to tell. Don't hide that story. Don't cover it up. If somebody asks you what's different about you, tell them. Tell them why you're different. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ or of the cross. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Don't be ashamed to hang out with Christians either. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Timothy needed courage to identify his life with the apostle Paul. Because again, as Paul writes 2 Timothy, where is Paul? He's in a cold, dark dungeon in Rome. He is a prisoner for the sake of Christ. So here's young Timothy. Timothy might be tempted to think in his mind, okay, if I identify with Paul, Paul's preaching Christ. He's ended up in prison. He's fixing to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. If I identify with Paul and preach the same message Paul preached, what might happen to me? Same thing that's happened to Paul might happen to me. And so Timothy might be tempted to shrink back not only from the message of the cross, but shrink back from Paul. And Paul says, don't do that. Christians, 
Live with courage when it comes to the cross of Christ. Live with courage when it comes to identifying with other believers. Now, I don't think right now we run the risk too much of being imprisoned or martyred because of our faith, at least for now here in the country. But, but guess what? Oftentimes, Christians are mocked, aren't they? How about a fellow believer in the workplace who stands up for his faith? Maybe everybody else mocks him. Or a great word for young people. How about a young person in school that stands up for Jesus Christ and the other students make fun of them because of that. What Paul is saying is we don't need to be shy. We don't need to be ashamed about coming alongside of that person and saying to everybody, hey folks, I'm the same way this person is. I believe what they believe. Stand with your fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed to identify with them. And Paul goes on to say in verse 8, accept your share of suffering. Sometimes the preaching of the gospel got the saints of God in trouble. Remember in Acts chapter 12, James the brother of John, Herod Agrippa, took his life by the sword. When he saw that the multitudes liked what he had done, Herod Agrippa decided to lay hands on the apostle Peter to take his life also, but God delivered Peter. Accept your share of suffering. Folks, we live in such a consumed based age today everybody instead instead of suffering any for the sake of the gospel you know what people today want to ask what's in it for me what am I going to get out of it what am I going to get out of it wrong question what am I going to give what am I going to sacrifice the Bible says you'll get heaven one day and a crowd and, uh, and, and a crown but for now you also get peace but you might also get a certain amount of difficulty and hardships and suffering in life because you identify with Christ. And Philip's translation says, accept your share of the suffering. The idea here is that every believer has a certain allotment of hardships that they need to assume as they live out their faith. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says everybody, not most, not some, all believers who live for Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. He's saying, Timothy, rather than being ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of the cross, ashamed of me, you need to, on the other hand, accept that a certain amount of, of affliction you need to accept is yours and you need to live out your faith for Jesus Christ in an upside-down world and don't fear what men might do to you. How are you doing at bearing your part? If there's a certain allotment that all of us have to accept in living out the Christian faith, how are you doing in your allotment of suffering for the gospel? Have you suffered any for the sake of the gospel? There's a little piece of the pie for you related to that. Don't forget that. Some Christians all over the world are going through tremendous struggles simply because of their faith. They've not done anything wrong. In fact, they're serving God right. And in some cultures, it's costing them. Who in the world do we think we are that serving Jesus Christ is not supposed to cost us anything? Remember what David said even in Old Testament times, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. What kind of price are we paying for the gospel? Are we making it all about us? 
If we make it all about us, we get offended at the least little thing. You know what? The preacher went a little bit long this morning. I'm offended by that. The choir didn't sing the song that I wanted them to sing. I'm offended by that. Folks, who in the world do we think we are? Do we think we're kings or queens and the rest of the world is supposed to come bow down before us? He says, Timothy, accept your share of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And Paul's not writing out of some ivory tower because he says in chapter 4, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He knows that Nero is about to chop his head off. And yet he still expresses nothing but commitment and courage. And now he's calling on Timothy and other Christians like you and me to have a little more courage in our lives. Folks, it's always been like this for the saints of God. It's always been a little difficult. It, we've always had to live with courage if we're going to live for Christ. There was Noah. The New Testament says of Noah that the whole time he was building that ark, the world was mocking him. Abraham had to leave his homeland and his father's household and go to a new land. Moses had to identify with the people of God as they wandered in the wilderness and suffered. Joshua had to go into the promised land and fight all of those battles. Isaiah was sawn in too. John was exiled and forced to do slave labor in the mines on the Isle of Patmos. It's always been a challenge for the people of God. We need courage. We need to accept our share of suffering for the gospel. We need to understand that following Jesus Christ has always called for adjustments in a person's life. What adjustments have you made for the sake of the gospel? What adjustments have I made? He reminds us at the end of verse 8, whatever suffering we have to do, guess what? We don't have to do it alone. The power of Christ, there's that word again, the power of Christ is there with us to go through any hardship or affliction. I think of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they were in that fiery furnace, the king looked and said, didn't we just throw three in there? But I see four, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Jesus was in the fiery furnace with them. And he'll be with me and you too, giving us power. Folks, we need to serve with courage, and we need to lay our excuses down. We need to understand what we get in return. It's like that guy in the parable Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13 who found a treasure in a field and he covered that treasure over, went out and sold everything he had so he could come back and buy that field with that treasure. He didn't consider the loss of everything too great because of the joy of receiving that treasure. We need to do the same. Because that's how valuable the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Nobody had to twist that guy's arm. And Paul is reminding Timothy what our ultimate motivation is in living with courage. There in verse 9, he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace. If the grace of God, the free unmerited grace of Jesus Christ doesn't motivate a Christian to serve with courage, I seriously doubt that anything will motivate that person. Christians live with commitment, live with courage. But a third thing I want you to notice in our text in verse 12. The life of a Christian calls for confidence. Paul says there, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. I wish I had more time today to develop this point. Somebody might say, but Paul, what if I live with the courage and commitment that you're talking about? 
And by doing so, Paul, what if somebody comes along and puts me in prison? Or what if God places me and my family on a mission field and time, it's all said and done for me. I have experienced the loss of everything. Paul says, I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's exactly where I am in my life right now. I'm in prison. I'm about to die. Do I think my life has been a waste? Would I do anything in my life differently? When Ananias showed up in my house in Acts chapter 9 after I'd met Jesus and and Ananias laid his hands on me and prayed for me and those scales dropped from my eyes, do, do you think now that I wish I would have said to Ananias, Ananias, get out of here, I'm not gonna live for Christ. Do you think I would have done that differently? No way I would have done life differently. For I know in whom I have believed. Amen? Is that your confidence? You serve out of commitment and courage and you face hardships. But the promise of the Word of God is we can have the confidence that God is right here with us. And guess what? There's a crown. There's a great inheritance waiting on the saints of God one day. An inheritance that can never be taken away. An inheritance that will never fade. But you see, the crown comes after the cross. Paul says there's conversion. There's my ministry. There's the cross I have to bear. And then there's glory. Paul says, my life isn't going from conversion to ministry to misery. It's not going from conversion to loss to greater loss. It's going from conversion to ministry to glory, a great inheritance. And I place my faith in Him. I know in whom I believe. And I'm not afraid to stand for Christ. That's the kind of confidence we need to have. The problem with too many believers today We love this life too much and we love this world too much. And so we do keep playing it safe, don't we? I think of that missionary, Jim Elliott, who lost his life for the sake of the gospel. You know what he said on one occasion? He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Let's turn that around this morning. He is a fool. To try to keep that which he cannot keep. And ends up losing that which only the Savior can give. I want to ask you this morning. Are you a fool for Christ? Or are you just a fool? Are you a fool for Christ? Or are you just a fool? Let's pray together. Father, help us to live our lives as fools for Christ. Not as those who only live for this life and this world. Because that would make us simply fools. But help us to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after Jesus. And dare to live as a fool for Christ. Lord, may we examine our hearts this morning. Do we live with commitment or do we live with fear? Do we rely on your power and love and sound judgment that you give us? Or do we simply walk in fear? Are we coasting in our Christian life? Is there something that somebody needs to fan into flames this morning? Give us the courage to do so.
And Lord, help us to understand that living for Jesus is not going to mean ultimate loss because there is that great inheritance. And you are more than able to guard that which we have entrusted to you until that day. God, give us the right perspective on life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to come forward in just a minute and say, Pastor, been a church member all my life, all my life. But I don't think I've ever been converted. I don't, I don't think I've ever been born again. Because I don't know that my life has ever changed. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't know that my life has really, really, really and truly ever changed. I need to be saved. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe somebody knows without a shadow of a doubt that you've been converted, been born again. And yet you have just kind of been coasting. The altar's open if you want to come and just kneel before God and say, Oh God, I want my life today and every day of my life to be on the altar for you. I want to fan into flames my commitment my Christian growth, my gift. I want to live with courage in this world for Jesus Christ. I don't want to just get by and blend into the crowd. But I want to be salt and light for you. God, this morning, give me power. Give me love. Give me sound judgment. Folks, that's praying for things that God in His Word says He wants to give us. Do you think that's a Christ-honoring prayer? Yes. Say, God, take fear out of my heart and replace it with power, love, and sound judgment. And trust Him to do that. And then every day, let's simply open our eyes and ears to where God is inviting him, inviting us to join him. And let's roll up our sleeves and get busy.